Well, this is, this is an interesting passage. Um, Jacob, I got to pick on you for a second. I about gave you a call in the middle of this week and thought, Jacob reading this passage in his wrestling outfit, um, that would, that would um, imprint that passage deep on our minds. Um, uh, I didn't give you a call, though. I, but I'm curious, as that passage was read, what jumps out at you? What surprises you in that passage? He got hurt. Jacob gets hurt. Yes. Uh, yes, stamina. I mean, you know, like, Jacob, how long, how long is a full wrestling match if it goes the full three periods? Six minutes, all right? And we're led, I mean, the details that we have of this story make us believe this is a, a whole night event. So the stamina. God's restraint, okay, all right. Anything else that jumps out or surprises you in this passage? You wonder if he was thinking something was going to happen if he sent everybody away from him. Okay, Jacob starts by sending everyone away from him. He's by himself. Yeah, why is he by himself? Okay, do you think, have some inkling something was going to happen? Jacob's request for blessing. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I wrestled one year. I don't recall ever being in a hold or holding somebody and asking for a blessing in the middle of a wrestling match. <laughs> Anything else? I'll say, I, you know, this passage comes out of the lectionary. So there's, if you're not familiar with the lectionary, kind of um, something that the church has developed uh, to work through Scripture over a three-year period. And so there's assigned readings from the Old Testament and from Psalm, New Testament, and the Gospel reading every Sunday. And so this passage is assigned to the church uh, for this morning. Um, uh, this is probably not a passage I would pick on my own because I just find it a very uh, interesting, strange, um, even a little bit disorienting passage uh, as I was reading it this week. Um, a couple of the questions that came up for me you, you have mentioned. Uh, the first one is, why does this night stranger start wrestling with Jacob? There's no provocation. Uh, Jacob's there by himself. All of a sudden, he's in a wrestling match. Um, we're not really told what exactly leads to uh, this wrestling match here in this moment. Uh, my next question is, what kind of wrestling are they doing that takes all night? Um, Greco-Roman wrestling, six minutes, MMA fight, uh, you know, I don't... What kind of wrestling match takes all night for these folks? And no wonder someone throws a hip out of socket uh, after they've been straining themselves all night. Another question is, who exactly is this stranger? 
um, there's a whole history of trying to figure out exactly who this stranger is. Is it God Almighty? Is it Jesus, kind of, you know, pre-New Testament uh, appearing of Jesus? Is this an angelic messenger? Um, it's, it's God in, God or God's messenger in some form. Um, that's Jacob's understanding uh, towards the end of the wrestling match. And I asked, why does Jacob suddenly ask for a blessing? Seems an odd thing to ask in the middle of a wrestling match. Um, and if it's God, how does God struggle in a wrestling match? Maybe, it, Dick, uh, your thought about God's restraint in, in this moment. Um, but it's an odd thing that uh, God would be, um, you know, they kind of are pulling to a draw in this wrestling match. Uh, Jacob's got a hip out of socket, but he's still got a firm hold on on the stranger, and they're kind of like both saying, hold on, let's, this is a little crazy. Um, so just some interesting thoughts, some interesting questions that this passage brings up um, for all of us to, to kind of ponder and work through. And as we look at this story, and, and um, I think there's a lot of different kind of directions that this story can lead us, um, and I want to share some thoughts with you as I've process this passage this week. As we look at that this morning, would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for this passage. Um, and I thank you that uh, in a lot of ways, it kind of disrupts our boxes that we try to put you in. Um, it, it has maybe a side of you, God, that, that uh, is unexpected. Um, some stories, some things in this passage that are unexpected. I pray that your spirit would be moving in our midst this morning, speaking to our hearts. Uh, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, I got to say it's, uh, you know, I read, read through this passage and started pondering, um, how do we plan a worship service around a passage that's about wrestling with God. And believe it or not, we don't have a lot of hymns that deal with duking it out with God. We tend not to write about that. Although, and I'd like you to take your blue hymnal, in case you think there's no hymn that deals with this, turn in your blue hymnal to number 503. This is a very uh, completely unfamiliar hymn to, to me, um, and so maybe sometime we'll have to learn to sing it. But I wasn't sure that it would, uh, first of all, there's 11 verses of it. Uh -oh. 503. It's a, a hymn from Charles Wesley. So lest you think the church has never dealt in hymnody with this passage, uh, here is the one example I could find of someone including this in hymn form. Um, like I said, he's got uh, 11 verses to kind of tell the story and kind of maybe work out what that was meaning uh, for Charles Wesley. Uh, so it's an interesting hymn. I encourage you maybe uh, later to, to take a look through all of those uh, verses. Um, there's, there's some really good stuff in these verses. Uh, anyway, 
You read this passage out of Genesis, and there's this interesting juxtaposition between the story of Genesis and this reading from one, Psalm 121 that we read this morning, which is also uh, an assigned passage out of the lectionary. Let me read that for you again. I lift my eyes to the hills from where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber, because he's wrestling with you in the middle of the night. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you... Keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. This is a song of ascent. It was sung by uh, Jewish folks on pilgrimage to the temple, and it was meant to be thanking God for God's protection as they were uh, on their pilgrimage, as they were coming to Jerusalem. They're praising God for His protection and for watching over them day and night while they were traveling. They're thanking God that He is watching. And God is seen as a protector. Uh, I especially caught on to verse 4 in that passage. He who keeps Israel, and in the Psalms it's talking about the nation, but remember that Jacob will be renamed Israel, which is interpreted to mean one who strives or struggles with God and humans and overcomes. Um, And so Israel will, the one who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. In the Jacob story, God, or presumably some version uh, of God showing up, is not slumbering, but however, God is keeping Jacob here gives a very different feel than Psalm 121. And so maybe being kept or guarded by God can also feel like striving or struggling with God sometimes. A little bit of the background of the story of Jacob to get to this wrestling match in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the night. Jacob is born grasping for power, literally, from the womb. He is the second born of twins, and he comes out, we're told, holding his brother's ankle. His brother Esau is then the firstborn. He's going to be gifted with all the the birthrights and all the good stuff that comes in the ancient world with being the firstborn son. Esau kind of takes on stereotypical man's men type roles. He's the the hunter. He's the one out uh, um, hunting and, and doing man's kind of stuff. And Jacob spends most of his life kind of uh, taking on stereotypically uh, women's work. He's, he's cooking, he's cleaning, he's hanging out at camp. Um, that's where Jacob is spending his time. Jacob ends up conning his older brother out of his inheritance as the firstborn. But then Jacob flees, choosing not to deal with the family conflict. He's kind of running from that conflict then. He goes to his uncle Laban and ends up working for seven years in exchange to be married to Rachel, whom Jacob had fallen in love with. But in the middle of the night, in the middle of, uh, you know, after the the wedding ceremony, uh, Uncle Laban pulls the old switcheroo and uh, Jacob wakes up next to Leah, who is the older, less attractive uh, sister um, and not who Jacob had fallen in love with. 
So Jacob ends up working seven more years so he can also be married to Rachel. And there's a whole lot of family dynamics that happen in here, including uh, Leah and Rachel and, and their servants. And um, this is not a, um, a story here that's like uh, we're all supposed to emulate. This is a story telling you what happened uh, it's describing, it's not prescribing anything, it's describing, um, you know, a lot of brokenness and family dynamics that's happening there. Jacob ends up rigging his Uncle Laban's breeding program uh, of, of his sheep and his, his goats. Uh, Jacob ends up taking his two wives and his growing family along with all of his, his possessions and his part of the sheep herd, and he sets out, he's kind of... Uh, going and leaving Uncle Laban. There's some uh, family idols that are uh, snatched and taken away too. Um, it's a very interesting story that, that leads to this point in the middle of the night. Jacob is on his way to some kind of confrontation with his now older, his, his brother Esau, who's had lots of years of thinking about how his younger brother has conned him out of uh, his inheritance. Uh, Esau has not uh, struggled. Esau has kind of built up his own group of people. And there is some kind of confrontation uh, ahead of Jacob. And it's because of this, uh, Jacob starts trying to um, butter up his brother, sending him uh, bits and pieces of, of gifts ahead of him to kind of smooth things over. Uh, but at this moment, Jacob has kind of split up his family uh, so that if Esau decides to attack and, and, and you know, seek vengeful retribution on Jacob. He's not going to get everything because Jacob split his family into two groups. But this leaves Jacob in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the night, alone. Jacob is kind of in between two sets of conflicts. Laban on one side that he's kind of smoothed things over with a little bit. And he's heading back to Esau on the other side with Years of unresolved conflict. You ever feel like you're all by yourself in the middle of nowhere? That's how I picture Jacob at this moment. Jacob is left alone then, and he wrestles with this night stranger who shows up. We're not told, you know, if there's a specific provocation that leads to this, just two strangers in the middle of the night, they bump into each other. I don't know. The story doesn't go into all those details. That's beyond the scope of what is important for us in the passage. Jacob is left to, to wrestle. There's a lot of wandering questions go unanswered in this story, so we're forced to sit with them being unresolved. Who initiates the wrestling match? The text doesn't say. They wrestle throughout the night, which is a pretty serious match. The stranger sees that he's not winning the match, and so he dislocates Jacob's hip. You know, is that a cheap shot? Is that an illegal hold? We're not really told, but somehow the stranger touches his hip. Touch, force, you know, we're, we're kind of just left to imagine how the story takes place. 
And then there's this back and forth conversation that happens between Jacob and the stranger. The stranger starts it off by saying, let me go for day is breaking, which is an odd reason to give up a good fight. Jacob responds that he won't let go unless the stranger blesses him. Jacob has been grasping for blessings for his entire life, and tonight is no different. The stranger holds off on the blessing but asks for Jacob's name. Jacob tells his name. Jacob's, uh, the stranger says, you are no longer Jacob, which means heel, trickster, overreacher, supplanter. That's not a, um, those aren't kind words. This is somebody who's always grasping, who's always reaching, who, who's, who's trying to get power and coming up short. says, you're no longer Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven or struggled with God and humans and have prevailed. Jacob then responds and asks the stranger's name because he's told his name, and so now he wants to know the name of the stranger. Seems fair. But the stranger doesn't give his name. He does bless Jacob and now Israel. Um, one commentator uh, was suggesting, you know, part of the the nighttime uh, struggle that happens here is uh, Jacob is going to celebrate that he's seen the face of God and lived, but he hasn't seen the fullness of this stranger's face because it's been night. And and interesting that the stranger wants to give up the fight or end the fight uh, before it comes daybreak and Jacob sees the fullness of of who he's wrestling. He also doesn't reveal his name, which we talked about last week. Uh, God, Yahweh, will reveal his name to Moses, but he's not going to give this name here to Jacob. And so Jacob's going to experience and see God, but he's not going to see the fullness of this stranger, this uh, God that he's wrestling with in this moment. Rachel Wren is a a commentator also on this passage that speaks of liminality. Liminality is being between spaces in a story, betwixt and between, caught in between one state of being and another. Here Jacob stands between the conflict with Laban and the conflict with Esau. Jacob is the grasper, is given a new name, Israel, who has struggled with God and humans and has overcome, which is also a a, a microcosm, a synopsis of Israel's history of struggling with God and struggling with humans. This is going to be true of Jacob, but this is going to be true of the nation that's going to bear this name as well. They're going to find themselves constantly struggling with God and with humans. And sometimes they're doing really well. They're being faithful with God. They're, they're succeeding in that struggle, in that journey. And other times they're, they're denying, they're leaving, they're you know, worshiping other gods. And, and the same kind of thing is going to happen in their human relationships. Sometimes they're celebrating you know, the, the growing uh, kingdom of, of David and Solomon and then that kingdom is going to be ripped from them and they're going to find themselves in exile. And so this is the story in just the name of the people of Israel. 
Israel uh, with a new name that finally conveys a sense of overcoming. But at the same time, the name of the stranger remains a mystery. And So Jacob receives this blessing, but he's also walking with the limp. He also is not seeing the fullness of who this stranger is. The name of God is not revealed to Israel. Betwixt and between the new and the old. Jacob receives the blessing but walks away limping. And one has to wonder at the name, how much of a blessing is it to struggle with God or struggle with humans, let alone both? Wrestling with liminality, being stuck between, also wrestling with God. Jacob seems to be wrestling with God, but he's also wrestling here, being, being caught in the middle. Being caught between the old way, being caught between the Jacob and the Israel. Being caught between these these conflicts, being caught between being a blessing but also walking with a limp. Being caught between blessing but, but still facing this conflict with his brother. Do you ever feel caught in the middle? Somewhere between old and new, looking forward to the blessing but also walking with a limp. This idea of liminality, living betwixt and between, is the Christian life. We are loved. We are cherished. We are forgiven because of Jesus. But continuing to sin, striving to be formed in the image of Christ, growing in holiness, but, you know, still wrestling with what Paul calls the old man inside. Bearing the image of God, all humanity bearing the image of God, but trying also to bear the image of Christ. All things being made new, but struggling with the old way. The kingdom already inaugurated, but not yet fully realized. We are citizens of the kingdom But we are foreigners and aliens, wandering sojourners and residents of a nation state here and now. Seeking peace and justice, yet knowing we are broken people incapable of perfect peace and justice outside of the fullness of the kingdom of God. Or sometimes it's seeing and and glimpsing what what the church, the community of faith is supposed to be and and what we could be at our best moments, but also dealing with the fact that we're broken people. We're not completely living into what Christ has in mind for His church. Hoping for the return of Jesus And for Jesus to be made all in all. But in the meantime, we see the brokenness of the world. Brokenness that we're invited to to lean into, not run away from. To follow Jesus is to be in this middle. Liminality is an invitation Jacob wrestles with the stranger. He never does learn the name or the exact identity of the stranger. 
And like I said, lots of interpretive paths people have taken over the years. Maybe it's an angel messenger wrestling on behalf of God. Maybe it's a, a Christ appearance or a Christophany. Maybe it's Jesus before Jesus can be named Jesus. Maybe it's God. Jacob seems to understand it as God. He names the place Peniel because he has, been, uh, has seen God face to face and lived. Remember, it's been dark the whole night and Jacob has never really gotten that good look. But then Jacob is named Israel, a blessing. A blessing that names his own liminality and the future of the nation as betwixt and between. He's struggling with God and humans and the implication then that he is going to overcome that struggle. But he's still going to struggle. And now that's where he is. Jacob will move on from the wrestling match to face his brother Esau, carrying a new name, a new identity, his striving with his brother, which has gone from womb, and actually the the confrontation as it is with Esau actually goes surprisingly well. But I think this liminality, being in the middle is also an invitation for us. Yes, we continue to cling to the hope of the fullness of the kingdom of God. But in the meantime, we look for Jesus at work in our own lives, at work in the lives of those around us, at work in the the life of the world around us. We're kind of struggling in the middle. So we can lean into this betweenness. I think this idea of being in the middle has um, led some uh, in this path of, of deconstructing faith, which has kind of become a very popular idea in our, in our time and in the society around us, kind of taking what we know and, and deconstructing. And there's a part of that, hear me, that I think is really helpful for us that we look at why do we believe what we believe. That, this was something that was so important for my own life. Kind of uh, as, as I moved away from home and moved away from, you know, Sunday school class that I had grown up in, you know, like how do I make sense of this for my own life? How do I take, um, you know, what mom and dad and, and, you know, my set of Sunday school teachers and my, my, my youth director and, and those people that have poured their, their heart and soul into me, how do I take that faith and make it my own? I did that within the context of a community of people that I could ask hard questions for, that I could struggle with, I could struggle and strive with God and and folks that would surround me and say, that's okay, let's work at this together. So I think it's important to ask questions and to think critically, but for some it's just a way of jettisoning faith altogether. And I get it because being caught in the middle is uncomfortable. Believing that God is God Almighty, that Jesus has come to redeem and rescue and restore. But seeing the things that happen around us, 
You feel that tension of being caught in the middle. It's a wrestling match that some folks tap out of. And you know what? Some folks are just wrestling a lot longer. Jacob clings to the stranger looking for a blessing. It strikes me that he could have focused on his dislocated hip. I mean, if I dislocate my hip, I'm probably not holding on to whoever I'm wrestling anymore. Um, but Jacob is, is, is clinging, holding on, focused on the blessing. He will walk away from the wrestling match forever limping, forever bearing the marks of this struggle that happened this evening. But I'm not sure that you ever hear of the limp past this story. Instead, Jacob's primary identity will be Israel, focused on the blessing. And so I wonder what you and I will focus on, the limping, the blessing, right now betwixt and between, caught between what will be and what is. As a pastor, and I think any follower of Jesus would like to think that following Jesus is all, you know, rainbows and unicorns and it's just, it's always awesome. And following Jesus is the best way of living. But it also calls for us to surrender ourselves, our own priorities. It calls for us to be faithful when things look different around us. It calls us to continue to follow Jesus on, on Friday when He's put to death, knowing that Sunday will come and resurrection will come. But that Saturday is tough. And that's often where we find ourselves right now, is caught in that Saturday, caught in between spaces. How will you and I respond to being caught in the middle, to being betwixt and between? This morning we're going to close our worship. I'm going to invite you to rise in body or spirit. To turn in your blue hymnal to number 580, My Life Flows On. Would you stand?